Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight we have John and Liam. How are you going John? I'm good, I'm good. Um, a little concerned um, today with the news that there's been 17 COVID cases in Greater Sydney, or Northern Beaches technically, um, and I'm up to Brisbane for Christmas. So please, I'm praying, do not close the Queensland border. I need a holiday, please. <laughs> The one positive with it being the Northern Beaches is they don't tend to travel into Sydney anyway, so you could actually be all right from some self-contained uh, quarantine because of a because of a harbour. So you know, yeah, the yuppies, the yuppies don't normally mix with the hipsters, so that's quite good. You're all set then. And how are you, Liam? Yeah. It's absolutely freezing here. I have to laugh at you guys talking about beaches while outside my front door is enough of the white stuff to rebalance the Colombian economy. <laughs> brilliant that's the difference between australia this time here and japan for everyone over in you know scotland ireland england all that sort of area listening it's um yeah different different time of the year over here but considering there's only a couple of hours apart and it's like a six hour and i think it's a six hour flight to japan from perth where where sean is and then for us over on the east it's like an eight hour flight or nine hour flight but yeah, it's crazy how very everything is over here in the Asia Pacific region. So, yeah, it is. Yep, good fun. True. Anyway, that's my weatherman out of the way for the week. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I want to do is just start off with the usual shout. So, anyone listening to the podcast, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to our podcast in your your favorite podcast app. I want to thank everyone who's previously actioned that call there to subscribe because i've had a look at the figures in the like today and in the last month we've had a record month of subscriber growth and also with listener growth in terms of downloads and listens on the podcast so we appreciate each and every one of you so thank you so much for your support what we'll do is we'll just jump straight into our topics today so the first one we have is i'm just gonna say it winner winner chicken dinner we're back it seems like the good old days, Celtic winning two games in a week. Liam, what was any points you want to discuss about the Celt game, Celtic 3, Lil 2? Yeah, it was just, you know, it was one of those games that, see, if you weren't a Celtic fan, you were just sitting down to watch a good game of football. What a great end-to-end open attacking game of football that was. Really, really enjoyable stuff. And it's even better when you, when we come out as winners, you know. And, um... You don't want to get overhype a young player too much, but David Turnbull is looking like he's really going to become something special. Um, I'll hold my hands up and say I was not too thrilled when I heard we signed him. I didn't rate him that highly, but by God, based on the last two games, what a player he he has the potential to be. I think he's the sort of player that could easily cover if, like, let's be honest, and Cham will be sold in the next month or so, next window, guaranteed, because he's done nothing all year, he's wanted away, he should be out the door. And if Christie was to follow him too far behind, if we had Turnbull playing in that spot each and every week, I don't think the team, in the league at least, would lose anything. Aye, I would agree. Yeah, I think in Cham, you know, he'll always be remembered for that great goal against Lazio. Um but not much else. But the, but the usual saying, what have you done for me lately? 
Aye. Bugger all. Aye. So, um, yeah, John, what stuck out to you in that game? Your thoughts on it? Any players you want to mention? Um, well, I are at right back, ladies and gentlemen. Holy shit. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly, didn't expect that. I mean, we've seen him before in that position, and he's he's um, done as a job. But Jesus Christ, yeah, um, it, he could easily be um, one of our centre back slash right back um, players now. Um, I just had to say that I think the Cham's a little bit underrated. I don't think he's been particularly uh, good recently, but I think he's an absolutely phenomenal player. So yes, that Lazio guy w- was, you know, probably what he'll be remembered for, but. I think a lot of other contributions that he's made and um, he's a good player. He'll go on to do good things, but I do think he's away soon. I don't think Christie's away, personally. Uh, I don't want him to be away, I should probably admit. Um, I thought um, I thought the game was, was brilliant and that was not like a Lille reserve team. They came out to win. They really wanted, they really wanted the three points and um, I think they had an... Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had a, um, a chance of topping the group. Was that right? Yeah, they, they had... Have any chance of topping the group? I, yeah, and they've just gone top in the league one as well. So they're they're no no mugs. They're top of the French league. They had a chance if they won that game to go top of the Europa League group. That's all they had to play for. They're not a bunch of mugs. So it was good to see us get out there and give them give them a good run. I I mean, it it, it really was. I mean, that was just a really um, that was a really competent performance from Celtic in Europe. I'm really pleased. We were, we were much... I mean, if you look at the stats, um, you could argue that that was a very un-Celtic performance um, because we did exactly what we've all been crying out for for a while, which is we defended together. Um, we let Leo have the ball in the right moments and then we hit really hard when we could. And then as soon as we lost the ball, we turned around and came back. I mean, Soros is just a machine. That man, I swear to God, you just wind him up and let him go like a pair of like teeth clatterers. Do you know what I mean? Like he just went and went and went and went. And he really was the engine in our midfield. Um, so I really think, and and Turnbull, I absolutely agree with him. I was not excited when we signed him. I did not think he was necessarily um, the, the the best um, Scottish player that wasn't at Celtic. I thought there were other good players and stuff. And we, um, But yeah, I'm convinced. Great player. Really, really, I'm, I'm happy that these boys have got a chance as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, you touch on that, John. And it was, for me, yeah, I agree with you. Like, when we signed Turnbull, yes, he was a good player. And because of the stuff we went through with him last year, where he was pictured in the boardroom, in a kit, getting ready to be announced, and then he's failed his medical, it was kind of like, this again? Okay. For me, the two best players outside of the Celtic squad that were young and would have a resale value. So I'm straight away ruling Boyle out at, at Hibbs, that sort of situation. But the two best, in my opinion, would have been Lewis Ferguson, Ryan Porteous. They're the two that I would have signed, thinking they're the next guys up and coming who could do a job for us. On top of that, if you looked at that Motherwell squad, I didn't even think that Turnbull was the best midfielder they had that we could have signed. I was like thinking, okay, Alan Campbell's the guy. So it's good to be proved wrong. I'm glad we've got him. The uniform, the shirt hasn't shrunk for him, which is good. And um, yeah, you touched on Sorrow before. He's got a case of the uh, N'Golo Kante's and slash uh, Claude Makalali. Makalali. 
yeah. about him. When Stop. I watch him play, that's who I see. So great player, yeah. great. It's good to see him get out there. And it's as much as I love Bruni, it's good to see a player in that role with mobility. Absolutely. I think I still think he's a rough diamond. Um, I still think he's got things that he can improve in his game. Um, but his positioning off the ball is phenomenal. He's absolutely... Um, I mean, we can all think about recent games where there's been highlights and there's been analysis afterwards. And we've just seen that the middle of the pitch is completely empty. There is not a single midfielder anywhere near where they should be in the areas that they operate. Soro never left that sort of invisible box that he should always operate in. He was just structured. And I, I honestly, I, I really, really rate the guy. I think he's got a lot um, to, to offer Celtic. i tell you something else as well. I don't know if you guys agree with me here. Uh, Christie's um, also really guilty for it. But I think Turnbull needs to get that um, shooting from distance for the sake of it out of his game really quick, personally. I don't think that's... Uh, I haven't seen him score from there yet. Um, and I don't think those chances, they don't know what the stats are, but they don't really, they don't normally score goals from from those sort of angles and distances. Do you know what I mean? I, I think with Turnbull, though, to a certain extent, you can put it down maybe to just kind of nerves because he's only just getting to the feeling of being a Celtic player. And, you know, sometimes you get that rush of blood to the head and you think, I want to score the 40-yard screamer when the 15-yard the pass that puts the striker clean through is the better option, you know? Yep, I think that's a good point. The other but thing, that's, I... that's just a, that you're full exuberance than anything else, you know. Yeah. The other thing I looked at though was there was a couple of times where he's it's him and Klamala, I think it was running, and Klamala right when he should have been making the pass, Klamala had run himself offside. The defender, the defense stepped up, so he couldn't make that pass. So he's like, "Oh well, I can have a shot from here because what's the worst case scenario?" Best case scenario, the keeper gets a hand on it, we get a corner. Worst case scenario, it goes out and we get to set our defence up and get our structure set again and defend as a team again. So it actually kind of... Um, I don't know if he was that clever thinking that, but there was a couple of times where that actually looked like it could have been his thought process. Well, he needs to hit, he needs to hit the target to do that. Because, yeah, no. because you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. The keeper could spill it and Klamala could be in, and that's very clever to do that. But, you know, hit the target. Christie's also guilty of it, though. Yeah, the ball goes into row Z. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so one other player we haven't touched on from that game making his debut in the first team was Connor Hazard. John, what was your thoughts on him and his performance? Look, in I don't think he had a lot to do in the Lille game, which is something that we have not been able to say for this Celtic team in a really long time. Uh, and that really is a testament to how well we're defending that game. Uh, I don't think he could have done anything about the two goals. In, I'm really glad he got um, a game, and then he got obviously he um, kept it up at the command game as well. He's he's been talked about a lot um, by like you know when you see when you do that Celtic TV locker room stuff, all of the coaches and stuff really really talk him up and stuff and. Um, you know, even then they were saying he was one for the future, but now he's getting he's getting a chance because you've got these two other keepers that I mean, how old is Scott Bain? He's not twenty five, twenty nine, I think, isn't he? Jesus, I thought he was younger than that. But anyway, look, I mean, he's he's dead, dead young, and he's really got that um, ability to get so much better. And he's the fucking height on him as well. Jesus Christ, um, yeah. Look, I think he's I I I think he did really well. 
in the Lille game. And he, I think he did even better in the Kilmarnock game, but we'll get on to that. Uh, the thing is, as well, the fact that he didn't have much to do in the Lille game, you've got to ask yourself as well, does that mean because the defence was more stable in front of him, knowing that he was in goal? Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. A bit of confidence. I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, I mean, oh, look, I don't. Who who can tell unless you actually ask the players? And even then, they're probably not going to be honest. But I don't know how. Um, so Connor has been there for a while, right? So he'll, he'll know the players. Um, I mean, Bain should be as well. I don't know how much a 22 year old coming in for a game where you know it's just giving him a chance would would put that much confidence into what should be um, professional defenders in front of him and stuff. So there's probably an extent of that, that, you know, he made some good decisions and that slowly got the confidence up of the defensive line and stuff. Um, I don't know. I just don't know how much um, benefit to give them for that, to be honest, or give him for that, sorry. Yeah, I'll look at it and go, well, yeah, he's been all there a while. He looks, he's got the, the Craig Gordon look about him, the, the tall left-footer, goalkeeper sort of so I think it's it's good for the future I think he's gone past Bain now to clearly be our number two behind Barkas if he comes good but at the moment I'm happy for Hazard to keep his spot reading during the week there was talk that the difference between and this is I don't even know who reported it but there was a story going around about that Barkas's biggest problem is he's still not confident enough to communicate with his defense properly in English so he's doing, yeah. So I knew doing, that was. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. So he's doing all these um his classes and twice a week to get up to speed. But just the talk you hear from Connor Hazard to his defenders yeah, is going to put them. He's going to put them in a comfortable position. Sorry. Yep. I, Sorry. I think. I go ahead, Liam. I was just going to say on the on the English language thing, I'd be wary of putting too much stock in stories like that. Now, I don't know where that came from, but I do know that in the, shall we we say, the more right-wing elements of the British press, there's an an element of, oh, the foreigner doesn't understand our culture whenever a player isn't performing. That's very true. For Liverpool players, for Chelsea players, for Man United players, and Celtic and Rangers players in the past. Um, I, you know... Again, I'm not I'm not a professional, whatever. But I was a goalkeeper for you know when I was a kid and when I was in high school, whatever. In Japan, I played in goals, played a lot with Japanese guys. Didn't speak a word of English, and at the time, I barely spoke any Japanese. Didn't really affect our game. You know, you can develop a system of like shouts and pointing and whatever that someone will understand, even if they don't understand your language. Mm. You know, I barcast maybe is lacking confidence maybe because he lacks confidence in his English ability. But yep. on a base level, I wouldn't say it's communication between his defence and him that's the problem. It's maybe lack of confidence stemming from a worry that he can't communicate properly, which is a completely different thing than saying it's because his English is shite. You know? Yeah, that's very true. And I, I, I've, I mean, almost as soon as Barkas came in, I thought he suffered from a confidence problem. Um so yeah, maybe it, maybe it is a case of um, he he's that confidence is because he thinks his English is not good enough, or um, and it's just been slightly miscommunicated in the sense between him saying that to staff and then to eventually filtering through to media and stuff, and it's just changed a little bit. Um, I yeah, H- who knows? To be honest, these are these are all um, you know just us 
spe- speculating on rumors at the end of the day. So it's all the water cooler talk more than anything. So yeah, yeah. we'll roll that over. Uh, one last thing for the Celtic Lil game I just want to talk about was how funny was Timo Weah? Great goal from him, by the way. But to not celebrate because he didn't want to offend the fans who weren't in the stadium, all class. I'm like, I know, what a man. I, I absolutely loved him at Celtic. I was really annoyed that we didn't get him for another six months. Like, I know he wasn't exactly, like, absolutely outstanding, but you definitely saw a player there. You definitely saw an absolutely um, brilliant rough, rough diamond sort of thing. I like him a lot. We should get him back. Let's buy him. He only went for $9 million or something like that to Lil. So imagine if we paid that, matched our record for Eddie, signed him. There's, it's a twofold investment because you'll sell him for more in the future. And he was get, he was loved at the club. But on top of that, the other thing that he would have done well is he would have been great with his last name being Weyer for Celtic in the US market. Yes. Mm. I don't think Celtic think like that, though. I think I think all of that all of that stuff is a bonus when they buy players. I don't think it... the way they completely undersold Nakamura when they signed him in Japan. Um, yes, the Celtic have no idea how to internationally market. No, it's the same when they, they kind of go sold oh, yeah. Korean guys. Yep, we have an Argentinian, and and oh, is he Argentinian or is he Uruguayan? Uruguayan, Uruguayan, Uruguayan. Oh, Uruguayan. Do, you, do you think Celtic's marketing in Uruguay? I don't think so. <laughs> or even where, where's Shved from? Remember, he exists. Ukraine. Is he Ukraine? Mm. I mean, you, we're not marketing in Ukraine either, are we? I mean, the Celtic vodka would sell there if nothing else. Wouldn't it just? <laughs> we we would if we got at the end of the season if Lenny left and we brought Rebrov into managers. Like suddenly we'd be like, up oh, no, you know that's like Ukrainian football god over there in long with Shevchenko. So that'd be a way to get your name, your your you know your brand and your club name out over there, but. Don't know what sort of impact it would have. You wouldn't see a lot of Ukrainians buying kits now, would you? No, but what you could do is you could market Bucky as Celtic vodka, and I swear to God they'd drink all that. Just put put a big Celtic logo on it. Just Magnus oh. vodka. There you go. That's a way to, <laughs> yeah. for them to launch over there as our sponsor. Then we get a kickback. Cents on the dollar. Thank you very much. Exactly. Oh, Haven't those poor boys suffered enough after Chernobyl for that? <laughs> <laughs> all right so what we'll do we'll we'll just jump albania right was that liam sorry celtic's biggest international market now is albania thanks to their president mm, that's <laughs> true supporter, apparently constantly yeah. tweeting about celtic he even right, set up good. he even set up a supporters club over there <laughs> it's because he's an intelligent man. It's, it's synonymous with being a Celtic supporter. The funny, funny thing is, he's the president of the country, but the vice president of the Celtic supporters club. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you couldn't have complete nepotism. Do you know? He's, he's a busy man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, changing the topic then. We'll jump into uh, Celtic 2, Kilmarnock 0. Now, I was supposed to see this game with the uh, Gold Coast CSC. When I was away for work on the weekend. However, it was ridiculous rains and everything. And I could not find a pub that had the the coverage and the game on. It was ridiculous. Even my iPad wasn't working for me to get, get the stream of it. So, I've only seen the highlights. So, I'll just throw it over to you guys to run through this game. 
Oh, right. Well, um, it was good. <laughs> we, we won. Uh, yeah, again, similar, same, I think it was the exact same team as Lille. Um, very similar performance. It, I mean, it was two going on six, to be honest. Um, I, I, I'm, I mean, we can get onto this a bit later, but I'm a bit frustrated that Lennon has said that he's going to change the team for the cup final and stuff. Because I think this team is what needs to be stuck with um, until something doesn't work again. But I thought I thought we played absolutely fantastically again, and it's really nice. It's really nice to be able to be positive again about Celtic, and I just I just hope this is a good um, run of games now. It was with three points we needed, a hundred percent, and I thought we completely outclassed Kilmarnock. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the thing is, funny thing about that game, I don't know if it was just because of the way Celtic were playing or the general atmosphere after the Lille game, but. Even at half time, I wasn't worried. I was sure we were going to win this game. It was just a matter of time until we scored. We were, just... we were, we were so intense. Yeah, yeah so it was, intense. It was, it was there, and it was like it was, a, it was really was a question of when, not if. Whereas recently, it has been a question of if. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think we should also mention that um, Greg Taylor had an absolutely phenomenal um, game. I thought he played yeah. out of his skin. Possibly his best game in a Celtic top. And with that topic, yep. what you've just said there, I will come back to that point when we go into the preview of the cup final. But yeah, from what I've heard and what I've seen on the highlights, yeah, he played really well. Played fantastically. Um, and, 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 and actually, um, it really sort of... I mean, it's a really nice problem to have now because if Taylor continues to have... Because I think Taylor's biggest um, issue was not his defensive capabilities, but his attacking capabilities was learning when to run and when not to run. and Because he could cross a ball. We could always cross a ball as well. But it was, when, it was when to attack at the right time and stuff. And I think, like all professionals, a bit of competition from Laxalt has just absolutely upped his game. So, you know, if... I, I would not be worried if Laxalt took an injury and we had to have Taylor in. Or if, for whatever reason, um, Lennon decides that Taylor's in that week. I would not be, oh, for God's sake, here we go. I would be okay with that. Yeah, well, you're talking about Taylor and, you know, about when to go attack, when to hang back. Well, it makes perfect sense because he came from Killy where they were defending 90% Correct. of the time and he wasn't expected to cross the halfway line very far. To suddenly be at Celtic where we got the ball and we've gone from having Kieran Tierney just, you know, rampaging up and down that wing, attack, defence, just cutting sick the whole time, to, you know, Taylor coming in from Killy and being a bit average at it. It was gonna take time, but yeah, quality player. I think he was I think he he was everything that was the opposite of Bolongoli. Do you know what I mean? He could he could pass a ball and he could defend, but he was poor going forward, which is everything that Bolongoli wasn't. Bolongoli could dribble and get past a man, but couldn't defend could... to save himself. So we thought, you know, we had Tierney doing all of that. So let's get a play, two players and the sum of their parts will make up what Tierney was doing. Which is impossible to do. It's impossible to do that. And it would be, it would be the same with Brown as well, by the way, guys. Well, I know we're all bigging up sorrow, but... You can never replace a player like that. Just his, just his presence and his um, um, captainship and all of that stuff and how vocal, vocal he is and stuff. We'll not be able to replace that. Sorrow's good, but, you know. 
That's football, I guess. See, that's the thing which, you know, again, it's all about how the media spin it, right? You know, various stories come out this week trying to say, oh, you know, Lennon's just reverting back to type. He's regressing after Celtic of progress because when he picked the, the team, the, the players that let him down before. No, that's not how it works, right? One, you do not show your hand week before a cup final, no. right? He's if, if he's got the, the team in his mind, if he's like, okay, you know, Turnbull's definitely in, Brown's definitely out, or Sorrow's definitely in, and, you know, and Jam's definitely out. He's not going to say that because then Hearts will just start planning to take out whoever he's playing, right? Same with Taylor and Laxall. You know, same even up front. You know, with Eddie's not in form. He could easily go with, with a Jetty or Klamala, right? Yeah. And you don't show your hand, especially especially when it's a cup final. And, and if anything... Sorry, if it... The players. If, you, if he went on telly after the game on Sunday and said, right, Sorrow's my man, he's playing next week. How's Scott Brown going to feel at training next week? Hmm. Where's his motivation to go in and train if he knows he's definitely going to miss the cup final? You've got to keep players on their toes because, one, you don't want the guys not playing to get demotivated. And, two, you don't want the guys who are in the team now to get too big-headed about it. And then you've got Tony Watt. Yep, that's fair. I, I, I agree. I wholly agree because I also think um, that one of the issues we've been having for a while is, um, and this even goes back to the Rats era as well, was yeah. t- team teams uh, knew who we were going to play and how we were going to play, um, which means that they could mitigate everything we thought we could do um, the week before. They they had already they already knew down to the T what we were going to do, so they knew how to. Now a lot of the time especially in the Rats last season, um, we just outclassed them. We were still firing on form, and it was a case of they knew what we were going to do, but we were just better. Teams got better. They understood what we were going to do better, um, and we weren't. We just weren't being um, adaptive enough at all. Right. And I think, that's, I think that's why we've seen um, with Turnbull and Sorrow and even Hazard and everybody else coming in, Frimpong to an extent, and... Um, it's been refreshing, and teams don't know how to deal with different tactics and different players. It's Lenny reverting yeah. back to his mentor, Martin O'Neill, sort of way. You know, announce the team the hour before. That's what he's got to get back to, because especially with the leaks we've constantly had coming out as well on top of it. Like what you're saying about the rat, even with Ronnie, it was the same deal, but there's always been leaks. So if everyone yeah. knows our team, knows how we're going to play because of either leaks or the manager coming out and saying it, or it's just that obvious, it's actually good to have options. Yep, yeah. for sure. And I, actually, something I've thought for ages, and it's a bit of a tangent, right? But um, I don't understand why psychology isn't such a mass isn't a massive part of sport um, to the extent that I think it should be. Like, I understand we have sports psychologists, and that is a bit... But from my understanding of um, the capacity of... The, of these um, professionals is it's quite small. Like they don't do much. They might, um, there might be one or two psychologists in the team and they kind of get round to you. I don't understand why there's not like um, psychology strategies that, that the manager gets like a briefing. 
Do you know what I mean? Like for all of those things about like getting into players' heads, like that might be the extra two percent or extra five percent that stops you taking such a shit run or or that extra push when you are taking a shit run to actually get out of it. I don't know. We do that. We're slowly going towards data analytics with um, football now, aren't we? We're getting, you know, GPX and um, passes completed. XG, the goals goals and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of the whole money ball baseball thing as it transferred over into football. Exactly, right? Excuse me. So we're getting, we're going that way. Why are we not doing that with sports psychology as well? See, that's the thing. They're, they're treating the body like a computer. The brain is a computer as well, in that sense. The brain is basically a biological computer, and it needs a technician who can service it. I mean, yep. f- just to throw in my, my, my 10 cents on that, I would have a psychologist on the bench with the coaches. To me, it's as important as a physio. Yeah. Because you'll think, be able to spot right. if a player is looking jaded during a game, and for whatever reason you see, his mind's not there. Have a word with him. You know? Now, I don't know if this is like the natural instinct of managers or it actually happens, right? But in that exact example, what would be great to see, right, is a psychologist on the bench, right? And they have already done player profiles or personality profiles, whatever it is, of every player. And then he ha- he or she hands a dossier to the manager and the um, coaching staff and says, right, you are 2-0 down away from home. These players, if you bring on, are already going to be psychologically defeated. These players will be um, unresponsive and it will be a like-for-like substitution. However, these players that you have will have certain personality types that will gear up the other players, which will always try to win, all of those things. And then all of that in reverse as well. Uh, We're winning 3-0, but we need some, you know, we're starting to you know, wobble a bit and we need some surety. These players are the ones that will not be complacent because we're winning and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that happens or it's natural instinct of managers, but that's what I want to see sports psychology um, in football move towards. And maybe in this sort of like refreshing period of Celtic where we, you know, reset and stuff, we could be looking at stuff like that. I was watching a doco when I was on the plane on the way home from the Gold Coast on the weekend about football managers who have studied a form of sports psychology at, and uh, personality traits and stuff. So Brendan Rogers did a study on that, and you look at him when he knows when to get his arm around his players, when and how to relate to them. All that's something he's really good at. Then you've got that Graham Potter who was over in Sweden for years. Then he went to Swansea, and now I think he's at Brighton or something like that in the Premier League. If I'm, I'm probably got the wrong club that he's at, but here's another one who did that, and he ended up building up a team of guys from the eighth tier. He recruited across from the 8th and ninth tier in English football, got him over to Sweden, built up a team, took him from like the 3rd or 4th division up into the um, the top flight for the first time in his club's history. They then went on and won the, their cup, got into the Europa League, beat Arsenal away and topped their group and progressed and that sort of thing. And he's put it all down to, I knew... I knew my players were less skillful, but I knew how to get the best out of them because I could relate to them and knew what buttons to push and when to hold back and everything. So you can either have a sports psychologist, as you're saying, John, as part of the coaching staff, a specific one for that reason, or if the coaches, as part of their development courses and that these days, are going and doing that additional uni degree, like what Rogers and Potter have done, it's pretty much going to get the same result. Yeah. 
It, it might be something that's already kind of happening that we're just not aware of as fans. Um, or it could be something that's in its infancy. And, you know, we might see it being such a big part of football in the next 10 years or so. Well, the, the players have changed. Like, you go back 10 years and it was, all, or for 20 years, and it was the hairdryer treatment, Fergie and his hairdryer. If someone didn't do what you want, you'd scream them down. And now, if you try that on a player, why do you think Roy Keane hasn't succeeded as a manager? Yeah. Yeah, well, and part of that is because, well, I mean, this is me being a bit pessimistic, but part of that is we live in such a narcissistic, egotistical society just now. When you get someone screaming at you, like, you know, get your act, in, to, like, um, get your act together and stuff, people just go, "Oh, who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm a football player. I'm a this person. I deserve to be here. I'm entitled to be here. You're nothing." You know what I mean? That's that's what. Look at Neymar. Neymar's exactly the fucking face I'm thinking of when I'm describing <laughs> yep. that player. Yep, hundred percent. Talking about like psychology of of plays and stuff. How nice is it to see Shane Duffy have, you know, a good couple of games and score a goal against Killy and stuff. He's enjoying his football now, and you can yeah. see it. And that is such a such a great thing to see. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll, I'll again I'll I'll. You know, put myself out here. I was of the mind a couple weeks ago, like, get rid of him. He's no cutting it. Same. I was the same, mate. That mental push or whatever it was, and it's worked for him, and now he's starting to look like a player again, you know? He's saved himself by the skin of his teeth. We're talking December. He was, I don't know if it was true or not, probably not, but let's just say it was. He was getting shipped back down to Brighton, um, in January, wasn't he? So now, yeah. and he, and now he's like, ah, this is the player that we saw in the first four games when you were playing. This is the player that we all thought you were going to be. Just like, all right, just a little bit of pressure off yourself, mate. I know you're a Celtic fan, but just enjoy being a uh, enjoy being a Celtic player. Do you know, you know, all of that stuff. Score goals and enjoy the moment and stuff. And don't worry if you're shit. We'll we'll slag you and we'll say cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we'll do is we'll just jump on to our next thing we wanted to talk about. So we'll preview the cup final. So we've, what's happening, just so all our regular listeners will be aware, but on the 19th and the 20th, the Celtic State of Mind podcast, they have a platform where they go live and they have a bunch of like live podcasts with video, all that sort of stuff, and it's going to be 24 shows, so two 12-hour blocks. We're on from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Glasgow time. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. You get to see how see these these faces. You go, we, we sound like Tom Rogic. Well, I do because I've got the Aussie accent, but I definitely don't look like him. So, you know, don't don't get too upset. But, yeah, we'll jump on there, talk some, uh, talk some absolute bollocks about Celtic, the game, and, yeah, just have some fun and... Hope people uh, get involved in it. There's good cause there with some charity and everything. It's funds being raised. So, um, yeah, get involved on that. But what I'll do, John, I'll throw to you with the game. You mentioned earlier about Lenny going back to type. What do you think his starting 11 will be? Oh, well, I mean, I think what he'll do is he'll probably revert back to um, a bit of stability. I think it will be a four-two-three-one. 
Um, I oh, do I think he's going to play Frimpong, or do I think he's going to play Ayer? I think he might risk it and play Ayer at right back, do a Duffy and Julian middle, and I think he's probably going to play Laxalt. I think I think Barkas is coming back in. All right, just say that. Um, yeah, look. He's probably not going to drop Sorrow. He's probably going to go Brown and McGregor with, I hope, Turnbull in front of him. I think that would be smart um, to do. But Rogic, yeah, I wouldn't be totally fizzing if Rogic was playing, to be honest, either. Um, I think Elianusi scored against Killy, so he's a sure start. I think Eddie's a sure start. Um, And then probably Christie. And that, that kind of sounds like he's just reverted back to a team that um, hasn't been doing that great. I think that's probably what he's going to do um, because I think he's... Oh, oh, I was going to be real harsh there. I was going to call Lennon a bottle merchant. Maybe he's not quite as far as that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. From the comments he's made um, before uh, and, you know, just knowing Lennon as a manager, I think he's probably going to revert back to players he's trusts. What I would like to see, though, is... Um, if he does go with it, fine. If these players are up for it, great. If they're not, I want to see Lennon making instant changes. Don't I don't want to see anybody wait until the 62nd minute like he always does, right? If it's not working in 50 minutes, change it. If it's not working in 30 minutes, change it. I want to see, you know, actual... Because let, let's be serious. Hearts are going to be up for this. Hearts are are embarrassed and gutted that they got relegated. And this is an opportunity for them to say, we are still good enough to be a premiership team. They're not, but they're going to be, that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to um, come into this game. That's what they believe, right? Especially the fans and the players, right? So they're going to be super, super up for it. So we need to be, we need to be up for it. We need to be going there and be ruthless. We need to slit throats. We need to be absolutely aggressive and hunters, we need. I want goals in the first seven minutes. So yeah, that's what I think. I I would uh, agree with a lot of that. Hit them hard and hit them early is uh, definitely the way to go. Because a team like Hearts, they're going to try and kill the game. They're going to try and bog us. Because that's what they did to Hibs in the last round. Going to bog it down at their level, make Celtic play poorly and then latch on to any mistakes that we make. So we need to just blow them away nice and quickly before they can even settle. Right, so for the team, I was going to say, um, yeah, I think left back, definitely I are right back. Um, to me, the more risky option would actually be playing Frimpo um, at the moment, because he's not in form. Yeah, he's not doing well, is he? No. Uh, midfield, I think... One of Turnbull or Sorrow is going to play, but not both. Um, I don't know which one. It depends how Lenny wants to set him. And that's where you can throw in the element of surprise. Because you've got potentially five players filling two or three midfield roles there. You know, you've got Sorrow, Turnbull, Brown, Cham and McGregor. And I reckon at most three of those are going to play. So it's who do you pick out of that three? Yep, it's it's a it's a tough call. I mean, do do you um do you have a, a team in your head which is 
what you what you think it's going to be and a team what you think it should be. Because I do. Aye. Okay. You, you want to go first then? To tell us what you think your team well, should be. Dead quick. I just think it should be the same team that played against Kelly. Yeah. The exact same team. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess about with something that's not broken. I would make a couple of tweaks. Um, I would swap out um, Taylor for Laxal. Not because Taylor had a bad game at all. Not at all. But because I want Hearts on the back foot from from minute one, and Laxal is going to attack them more aggressively. Um, yeah, and 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 Laxal's not actually. Um, in any stretch of the imagination, a bad defender. Some of the, some of his blocks and defensive capabilities have been astonishing. So it's not like um, we'd, we would we be sacrificing a defender for an attacker. Do you know what I mean? Right. My only concern is right. This is my, this is my biggest concern. We we feel the best whatever team it is. Right? It doesn't actually matter. Yeah. We attack. We we do everything we're talking about. We're dead, dead ruthless, and we're we're pushing really hard for a goal. And Hearts just shit super deep they sit super super deep they let nothing through um and then breakers on a counter so mm-hmm. so i think we need i think we need um to be smart about that i think we need to be um uh our defense needs to be awake i don't think our defense should push up that much i think our defense needs to sit back a bit um yeah i don't know just be a little bit more wary like we were saying, like we were saying before in other podcasts, we need at Sorry. least one defensive outball, and Laxalt gives you that. Yeah, if we're going to play Iyer at right back instead of Frimpong, who would have been an outball. I think you have to play Laxalt at left back because you need at least one ball out of defence option. Do you know what I've just realised? It's almost exactly like um, what we used to do uh, when the Rat was manager with Tierney and Lustig. Yes, exactly. One was the more defensive-minded, aggressive, out-and-out defender. The other one was almost a winger. It yeah. was. Um, I, I don't know if you ever follow Tifo Football. It's a good um, Facebook and YouTube channel for anyone who wants to watch their videos. Mm-hmm. But they did one on Celtic, um, and they called it a lopsided four-two-three-one. And it is you, when, when when we had Tierney moving forward, we moved to a back three, and it worked. So maybe that is a bit of a solution. Do you know what I mean? We could be doing stuff like that. Well, I'll throw my little two cents in then. You were talking about lack sold earlier. Well, what I was thinking early on, what I touched on, I said I'd throw back to, would be Taylor's been playing well enough. I'd keep him at left back. Moy's been pretty out of form lately. I'd actually play lack sold on the wing. I'd push yeah. him further up, especially on the wide open spaces at Hamden. Yeah, we haven't done it before. I don't know and if it's a game. There you go. That's a Lenny sort of comp thing, exactly the sort of thing he would do. It's true. Lenny he loves to make a dumb, dumb idea at the last minute or try something different. That's the sort of thing I can actually see Lenny doing. Ideally, it's good to see, it's good to see Johnson back. We could, yeah. see, we could see him playing there. Uh, he, showed, he showed some class in the little brief stint that he had. Hi. Yeah, Johnson. It's good to see Johnson back. I'm I'm glad he's back. Um, he's he's been out for a while. Did he not have a double calf surgery? I, am I remembering that right? It was. Pre- I can't remember the exact nature of it, but it was pretty major procedures they had done. Aye. Um, so it's good yeah. to see him back, and that's and it's an option for when Moyes, um, playing shit. To be honest. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we'll just move along then from that, that game. Liam, you wanted to discuss the uh, Celtic AGM. Yeah, um, right. So there's a few different angles to this. Um, so the big the big thing to take out of it is that financially, Celtic are in a very healthy position. Far more healthy than most teams in Britain, considering the current COVID situation. Um, but the problem is that they, it was all financial stuff. They did almost nothing to address the underlying um, issues with the fans, with the protests, with the, the form on the park. And at the end of the day, that is the that's the main problem is that there seems to be a massive disconnect between the uh, what the board are saying and what the fans are actually thinking um just to give you a couple of examples here um so Ian Bankier the chairman he made the point that um you know it, you have to be a realist and it's all about the balance sheet. He said it's all about the balance sheet. Well, sorry, but if you're a football fan, no, it isn't. It's not all about the, the balance sheet. It's about putting a good team on the park that will win games for you. And then if the team's doing well, the financial stuff takes care of itself. Um, and then moving over to Peter Lawwell, the only thing he said that even came close to addressing all the recent unrest was he spoke about online negativity regarding the club. Now, the implication there is that any criticism of the club online is negative. Now, I'm sorry, but paying customers of any type of business, a football club is a business at the end of the day, have a right to criticise and to demand better service when they're not getting it. And if you want to look at it from a purely business point of view, Celtic not getting results on the park is a failure of them to provide the service we pay them to provide. You know, if a hotel gave you crap service, you'd be demanding a refund. If a restaurant gave you crap food, you wouldn't eat there again. But because Celtic fans, and we're all guilty of this, faithful through and through, they take advantage of us. And the quotes that come out of the AGM tell me that they're, they're going to continue down that path and I think that's a very bad idea for Celtic um, there's also the, prop, the, the the question of Resolution 11 which was the fans demanding that um, that Celtic pursue directly with UEFA why Rangers were granted a licence to play in European competition when they quite clearly were breaking financial fair play rules and did not meet the registration requirements. And what that tells me, the fact that was just blown out the water and not even addressed, tells me that the board think that the old firm brand is more important than playing in a league that isn't that doesn't involve cheating. They basically said cheating's all right as long as it's good for the balance sheet, because it's all about the balance sheet. So overall. If you're a businessman, it was a great AGM. If you're a fan, I think it was crap. But what do you guys think? Um, 
I think it really goes back to what we were saying um, in a previous pod, which is a football team isn't like any other business. It is what I would call an, an entertainment business. And as, as an entertainment business, the financials should only be um, a focus um, insofar that it keeps the, the entertainment healthy, right? So yeah. if in an absolute ideal world, right, where you didn't need to mitigate for um, unforeseen circumstances and all that stuff, um, you could balance the books every single season and put all profits into whatever that entertainment is, right? That would be the most ideal situation. I think I think for lots of reasons, and we, again, we discussed this before with Fergus McCann coming in and saving us from administration and all that stuff, um, Celtic have been uncomfortable pushing the boat out and we've been really sort of like a you know slow and steady and spending within our means and that's all really healthy to do but not at the expense of um success on the pitch your the, the way that you should um uh, value success the way that you should um sort of uh, look at look at how successful your year has been is did you are you still in the black have you saved a bit of money? How many trophies have you won? That's how far have you got through into competitions? That should always be the value of success. And I think at the moment, and then all the other things that you can do as bonuses, right? And I think at the moment, the Celtic board have been too focused on on one, thinking that it will naturally translate into the other. And and, and I just don't think that's true. I think and I think um I think it's time for a change. However, I don't even remotely see that happening when you have 97 to 99% of shareholders voting in the same board. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The one yeah. thing that jumped out for me from the AGM was where Laws come out and said, yeah, we've invested 35 million pound in the squad. Yeah. But in the same time, you've taken back 25 million for Tierney. You've brought in 20 million for Dembele. And before that, it was 7 million for Armstrong. So, you actually have a surplus sitting there, so don't be talking about thirty-five million pounds spend. Like that's absolute load of rubbish, in my opinion. That was the one thing that jumped out to me in all the financial stuff. Yep, I I, I agree. And do you know what's um, a real kick in the nuts about that was all of all of those all of those profits were translated into this, you know, treasure chest of you know, give or take 30 million for the rainy day fund and stuff. And I, and again, in the AGM just gone, um, I don't know how you guys have interpreted this, but I've interpreted it as that's all gone. That has completely gone. Cause I remember reading the financials um, when COVID was, um, everything was on lockdown and it was really hitting everybody hard and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And there was some theories out there that we would lose a 30 million by the sounds of it, it's gone. So all of that saving for nothing. Banky had come out and said we've still got a surplus sitting there, 30-something million in the bank. And we're one of the three football clubs in the Scottish SPFL that has, um, what's it called, insurance and everything on revenue. So at the end of the day, it shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be an issue, but apparently that money will just sit there nicely. It, it will sit there nicely until we need it for the hotel. Exactly. Which, which we all want. We all want a new megastore. We all want a hotel. We all want a nice new um, and a museum and all that shit. 
fantastic. Do it. Don't do it at the expense of actual success on the pitch, though. Is that, is that just common sense? Their shirts without them spending two weeks in Belgium, you know, that'd be a start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just and all of the the nonsense that goes on every single season with Celtic TV and not working in some bloody places. Let's let's make sure everything else is squeaky clean before we start thinking about um, spending money on this amazing hotel, which we're still pushing ahead. By the way, that's still going. That's happening. Probably not next year, but the year after. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the hotel and all that stuff. It's happening soonish. So they've risked the ten to save the money to build a hotel. But sure have. A lot of and, fans aren't gonna be happy with that. No, they're not. But in everything that we're saying, they don't care. Yeah, they say they care because it's an accolade that they can, you know, market and all that stuff. However, they know for a fact that if they build this hotel for 20 million or 19 million or whatever it is, and all the other stuff, that the revenue in five years of building that alone will double their overall um, revenue uh, income and stuff. So they know that it's a smart financial thing to do, but they're doing it at the expense of... 10 in a row. And from what Peter Lowell said about not being asleep at the wheel, I, look, I, like, well done, you spent 35 million. You still put Neil Lennon in charge in the fucking showers. Like, that's, that is being asleep at the wheel. That's what we're all complaining about. We all, we all, um, we all saw this coming. Yeah, the thing is as well, like, talking about a drop in revenue, like, I'm sorry, but this season, that is not an excuse for being uncompetitive because every club in Europe is taking a similar financial hit. So, you know, if you say, well, Celtic lost 30 million, just hypothetically, right? Um, Rangers would have lost the same because they're a similar size of club to us with a similar fan base and similar similar revenue streams. And then you look at the clubs like Juventus and Barcelona and Real Madrid. What are they losing? God. Exactly. So, yeah, talking about losing, and you mentioned Rangers before, what they're losing. They've lost a chance at a treble. Yeah, it's a good segue. They never had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I'd use that as a, you know, cheap shot, tie it all in, works perfect. Yeah, sucks to be them. Thank you, St. Mirren. (laughs) Thank you, the Love Street boys. Our buddy's looking after us. Got to love it. I've always had a soft spot for St. Mirren. And, I'm, and that sounds like I'm just saying that now, but I genuinely did. Because it was, um, St. Mirren was my one of my grandfather's teams. He's from Paisley. So he used to watch them a lot, always used to follow them. And that was, you know, when St. Mirren was a bit shite. So I used to watch them just because, you know, he liked them. But yeah, I'm pleased for St. Mirren. St. Mirren are a good team. Um, they've been getting much better over the last couple of seasons. Um, and yeah, let's, um, fingers crossed that this is, the beginning of the wobble. Yeah, talking about St. Mirren, they're always the club that I always used to play with in FIFA or in uh, Football Manager or whatever because I didn't want to, you know, just jump on a top-level team in Scotland. So, yeah, uh, Jim Goodwin's doing a great job with them. And, yeah, as you just said, let's hope it's the wobble that usually happens after their Dubai trip, which isn't going to happen this year. I'm hoping, you know, this is the start of it and they drop a couple more points before we play them early in January. And then 
you know, we're off to the races, we're improving, they're dropping off and, you know, the ten's still on. There's still a mountain to climb. Even if they, they have to have some massive wobble for us to um to stroll it. We've still got to turn up and get the three points week in, week out, and anything less is unacceptable. So let's let's hope this is a turn. Um, but let's not hold our breath. The talk is Gordon Strachan went through a similar sort of thing when they were in Europe playing a lot of games and we came from a similar margin down in the past to come back and win and that's because they were playing so many games, they ran out of players, they got injuries and off they went. So there's still a chance. Um, it's going to be, as you said, John, it's going to be a big job, but yeah, I think there's, there's still plenty of time. We totally need to agree. win that New Year game. We need to win the New Year game. And that's not a given. That's what that everyone everyone keeps saying stuff like, you know, if we win all our games between now and, and when we play them and, um, you know, we, we pick up the three points from both games in hand and, and then we beat them in the New Year. We're only four points, whatever it is, behind them and stuff. It, that, you are assuming so much when you say stuff like that. That is, that's, that's the sort of stuff that, that Rangers fans say, and it's just embarrassing. So let's just, let's focus on the next game in hand. Let's get a really good run of games going. And then let's go into the um, New Year game and stuff with a bit of confidence. And, you know, hopefully they do get injuries and stuff. All right. Our immediate goal, win the cup at the weekend. Try and at least match Rangers results until we play them. Or do better. Or do better. Then beat them. Yep. Once we beat them, that is us making a genuine dent in their in their um, lead. You know, it then comes down to four points with the games in hand taken out of the equation, and all that is is a is a, is a draw and a defeat. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot, um, and and we all know that this Rangers team, the second that they knock anything in their confidence, that they're gone. Like that, their their heads go for a while. So especially like. Um, Prepubescent little children like Morellus and stuff like that. As soon as he has a wish, just see he copped the band too, <laughs> and made Gerard look like a dick for going out and saying, "Oh, that's not even worth the yellow or whatever it was." And then he gets it up, yellow upgraded to the two game red. Lovely. <laughs> it's just because it, he doesn't have the mentality of a of an adult. He's just a child. So he gets has a wee tantrum and a strop, and that's him gone. And and I mean, I don't want to talk about. Rangers too much. I don't want to talk about their fans, but one of the things I found absolutely bizarre was that there was this narrative on on the um, social forums from Rangers fans, which was you know it was the the whiny players um, that weren't getting games that were sort of pestering Gerard to to get a game because you know blah 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 blah. And it's like he, well, first of all, that was almost the exactly same the exact same team as the week before. They were all first team players, and you should have a squad that is ready to come in and just you know stroll games. If you are sitting on the bench, you need to be as good, if not better, than the person who's in front of you and ready to come in and take that position and stuff. And you and you didn't, so maybe that's just a weakness in your own team. I mean, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? You know, they've only lost one cup game; they're already clutching at more straws than a scarecrow having a wank. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think that's the best way to end the podcast. <laughs> everyone, um, yeah, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, don't forget to tune in between ten and eleven on Sunday. 
morning to the Celtic State of Mind feed for us on the uh, quadruple treble weekend they're putting on. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. How, how? How, how?